Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I don't want to waste any time on too much of an intro here. I have Jamie. Jamie, how do you say your last name? Calty. It's spelled completely different. Okay. Oh, all right, all right. And so, Jamie is the executive director of Sex Positive World. And I, I can't stop cheesing because, like... My intention with this podcast episode, I hope that you'll listen all the way through because you'll get to where I'm tying this all together. But this is really an introduction into how the world of sex positivity plays a major role in not just um, how you can be or become sexual after a herpes diagnosis necessarily, but how you also begin to look at, challenge, restructure those beliefs and behaviors around sexuality as a whole and how you even navigate boundaries and relationships, y'all. So I, I'm i happy to have Jamie here to share her own personal experience. And then as we get closer to the end, you'll hear me kind of like tie this all together. And if I need to, if we run out of time, like I can speak more about why this is important to me. But I want to make sure that we maximize the time that we have with Jamie here today. So, wow, Jamie. Hello. Having me, and thanks for being on my show before this. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good experience. I really appreciated um, how you interviewed me, your interview style, and just like your willingness to open up and have like real conversations. And I'm, I'm finding myself really, really more drawn to people who are real because <laughs> I mean, with a lot of instances being interviewed on somebody's podcast or collaborating, like it's we do that and then that's it. Like, once it's posted, there's no more communication. Uh-huh. There's no follow-up. And you and I had tacos together. We're doing this yeah. project together. So, yeah, I'm I'm very happy to have met, connected, and to be working with you. Absolutely. Me too. All right. Um, I would like to first just begin by letting you introduce yourself however you want. You have a podcast. You're the executive director of Sex Positive World. What else do you want people to know? And also tell people what that podcast is and where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me slow it down a little bit. So I have multiple jobs uh, that are things I volunteer for. I have a background in television and film. That's how I make actual money is I work in that area. Um, A lot of government stuff and nonprofit things, not big Hollywood things that you've seen. Um, We're talking small time fire department, kitchen safety videos for kids. Um, But what I do that's really exciting, what we really want to talk about today is... um, for one, I do have a podcast. It's called Given Consent. You can find my channel. I did an episode all about herpes. The goal of the show is to introduce my audience to the people and ideas behind consent culture and to empower you with the tools to disrupt toxic patterns and uh, pursue healthy desire. And the topics go all over the place. It's not just about herpes. Um, I had Evelyn Dacker on to talk about STIs and like what that does to you. But I've also had ones on ADHD and how that affects sex or on kink or on ecosexuality. Like the, the topics range. And then I am also executive director of Sex Positive World, which is a nonprofit. We are education focused. And what we do is we... Well, maybe I should back up even with this, because I started in my local chapter here in Ventura, California, and we have events. So it's not just like, let's just have all the sex, swinger party, anything goes. 
these are highly consent-driven events, like cuddle parties that you know are going to stay at that platonic, nurturing level. And that's really, really healing for people, particularly like for me in being able to receive touch and give touch. And that could be the end of it without an expectation of like, there has to be more because that tends to be how our society runs. Uh, You know, everyone's story is different. And we did a lot of events that were like exploring sensuality and sexuality that didn't have to go to the point where you're having to disclose STI status, which I think is related to what's going on here. Um, but we are also educating people on like, what is sex positivity? Like what is the nature of a sex negative culture, which I would say we by and large do live in a sex negative culture where we don't talk about sex. Sex is taboo. You're just supposed to have it figured out the day you get married. You're supposed to be monogamous. You're supposed to be heterosexual. Like all of the things we're realizing, like just do not work for most people. And, um, educating people on how to say no to things that they don't want. Most of us are socialized to say yes to things we don't want from a very young age. So like, how do you actually build the muscle of saying no and then sticking to that no? And on top of that, how do you take it when someone gives you a no so that you don't internalize it and think something's wrong with you and instead, thank you. Thank you for taking care of yourself. I love when people tell me no because I know I can trust their yes. And that's kind of what sex positive world is in the pandemic we've done many online offerings from education to online parties to like learning how to like twerk so there's been all kinds of stuff and then we're also um do in-person events like we have convergence coming up in august which is a coming together of people for all the different chapters come one come all for a weekend camp out and we also do other big converging type events like that that just help people be sexual and be consensual and be very human because I think that we're very community-driven, touch-driven creatures. So that's kind of, by and large, what I do. If you you go on my YouTube channel, you will hear all kinds of crazy things I'm trying to build. While we're on this, how can people also join Sex Positive World? We can do that now instead at the end. Okay. Yeah. The... So Sex Positive World, we have a little bit of a structure to it, and we like people to come to what we call our core classes. This includes an orientation, which is just the history of sex positivity, how it works, how we define consent, all of the the basics. So we're all speaking the same language when we walk into an event. Um, We also use a level system for our events, not like Ooh, isn't it the cool to get to the secret level, but rather so that you know what you're getting into for the night. Because if you're not here for a sex party, it'd be really nice if you knew that for a fact, if you just wanted to cuddle because you're looking for that nurturance or you're wanting things to get sexy, but not sexual. Like we have massage events for that. Um, We have lots of local chapters. Those would be the ones hosting those in-person events. There's a huge chapter in Los Angeles. There's a huge one in Portland, but we're also in... Uh, currently in like Nashville and Idaho and Austin, Texas and Belgium, like, and then Ventura. There's more than that. They're all on the website and they do growing change because we're volunteer led. Um, but after our orientation, we have awesome boundaries, which is a class on how to set boundaries, which I recommend even if you don't want to be a member, I learn something every time and I teach the class. Um, what else? We've also got like how to have the safer sex talk. We call it the pleasure talk. 
Um, and the last one we're working on now is like adding to it. It's called sexy intersections. So we're a little bit more socially aware of these, uh, larger implications around us and how they show up in sexy spaces. Like sometimes we fetishize people and that's not cool. So how do we actually have a conversation about that? Um, but you can join up with sex positive world by just showing up to events and you can join a local chapter. A lot of them are on meetup. And um, Sex Positive Los Angeles, Sex Positive Portland, they actually have their own website. So if you look them up, you'll find that website and you apply to get in. And they, they're a little more careful with their vetting because they do so many in-person events. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Now, we just gave you a lot of information, right? And typically people who come here are listening because they're at a particular place with their herpes diagnosis and... They are just like listening and from time to time, things resonate typically through a person's shared experience. So at this point, like now we have all of this is like a baseline of where you are now, what you're involved with, what you're doing. I would like to hear about your HSV experience because you were diagnosed with herpes. So if you can just walk me through um, just around that time, your diagnosis, and then just tell as much of the story as you feel comfortable with. And then I'll just jump in with questions here and there. Um, just to give people like an understanding of like what got you to this point in that regard, not to exclusively say that because you got herpes, this is the trajectory of your life. But let's let's speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my herpes diagnosis came up in 2015 as part of a routine physical. I um, was um, not expecting to have that test. I'll put it that way. Like I went to the doctor for a physical and I had my background at that moment was I had just left um, an abusive relationship. I had fled back home to live with my parents. I had got a restraining order. Like I was a, a complete fucking mess at the time. Can I say that word on your show? Yeah. Okay. Nodding. Um, I, so I was like, I just gotta go to the doctor and like see what's going on with my health. Cause I hadn't been to the doctor in like years. And I was like, I just want to take care of myself. That's where I started with. I was like, I just need to take care of myself. So the doc, you know, comes back with my test results. And she's way more concerned about her broken, not working printer. And it's just like, yeah, so you have herpes. And that was all I really remember is her just being like, yeah, you're positive for this. Okay, okay, bye. No guidance, nothing. Just you're positive for this thing. And. Of course, what's in my head is that South Park episode where Stan's screaming at Cartman, and I'm like, this is awful. I go and I find one of those, like, secret ways to disclose to people websites where it sends from a secret um, web address, and, like, had to, like, let my abuser and other partners of his know, because that was part of what happened, and it was just really isolating and really awful. And I didn't really know what to do with that information as far as disclosing because I was not part of community. I did not have a network of people, um, but I still really liked hookup culture. So, like, navigating that became, and it still is, a big part of my life. So that's where it started. Yeah. <laughs> was, that the, was that the question just where, when I first that, got the diagnosis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank okay. you for sharing that. Um and you said this was an abusive relationship and you used the anonymous site to message both him and his partners. What was that 
experience like for you having to message your abuser um and at this point were you out of the relationship when that happened yeah i'm very fortunate that we were did not actually have a lot that tied us together aside from like an apartment lease um yeah it was one of those websites that was like very shame focused and like it's okay that like you're dirty now but like you do need to disclose to people like I don't know that that's the words on the website, but that's how I internalized it. It was just like, um, I would describe myself as completely disassociated at the time, like not aware of my own body and just like um, in that like fight or flight stress response of like, I just have to do this. I just have to get this done. And that's where it was at the time. And of course it stirred up more conversations with people from that part of my life, but I had already, I had left the area Um, Because I lived in a different part of California. Like I said, I had a restraining order. So I had all of the pieces for safety. But I was definitely mentally not all there. Mm. Now, I'm more curious about how you got out of this abusive relationship. And (laughs) I also have a question in regards to uh, your interaction with the other people that you messaged. Because I did interview someone who she let the other women know. And they just like destroyed her. Yeah, it um, it definitely freaks people out, and that's I think that's the beginning for a lot of folks when they first receive a diagnosis or hear it might be in their potential exposure risk that they they do freak out, and there's a lot of witch hunting in terms of like you gave this to me, no, you gave this to me. Well, if you weren't so high risk, and there's a lot of um, lack of personal responsibility. I feel like when some when someone gets disclosed to. That someone you've already had sex with or you've, you've, you've shared fluids between partners and they're like, well, this is your fault. And I, I definitely experienced that. Mm. And then in terms of actually leaving the relationship, um, I was in the situation where I was the, the abuse and isolation. Isolation is a huge piece of abuse. Don't trust anybody. Just trust your partner. Don't talk to your family about this and this uh, normality. And um, I was raised in a household where ignoring someone's uh, bad behavior in this case would be like overeating and then pretending that's not a thing was very normalized. So it became normal to me to hide other people's uh, problems. So I can be quite the enabler in relationships as well. So I was playing that role. So I slowly got isolated um, and it turned into um, not just nagging and, you know, dependency, but it also turned into physical abuse. And I finally did reach out to some friends, gave them a little piece of what was happening. And they were all just like, you need to go. You need to pack your shit. You need to go. You're, this is not going to end well. So I had some friends that really told me what to do because I was in a state where I was totally disassociated from what was happening around me. So that was a very critical element for you. It was that the isolation kept you from doing the thing that would get you out of abuse, which is just letting people know. And immediately after you sought out support, you were able to get what you needed in order to just get out of there. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is an important thing about having friendships along the way is like, and and include this in polyamory, because I do practice polyamory, it's important to be able to talk to other people about things that are confusing. um, Because that was the number one word I would use for behaviors that, you know, I was accepting and being like, well, it's confusing, but you know, I'll be cool with it anyway. And the more you're cool with the boiling water, the 
more your skin burns off, you know, the frog from boiling water. I don't know if that's a great analogy, but that's, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Now I, I was holding on to something, but I didn't want to like not be present for what you were just saying. I guess when we're talking about the, um, how it, how, I guess the, ah, what, what was the wording I'm looking for here? I guess like the baby signs. Oh, that is such a weird way of saying this. I guess like baby signs. Like the, that, those red flags I ignored early on. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> the red flags. Yeah. Okay, so um, I like making people happy. Like I said, I'm a bit of an enabler, and, and that's that's important to me. So like taking care of my partner and all that. Um, getting me to not be trusting of my family was part of it. But I also like, honestly, like looking back at it, this is seven years ago is like, I actually did need a little space and better boundaries with my family. So that's a reality, but like isolation dependency, but I would say number one, the thing that you've got to look out for when it comes to um, patterns of abuse is when someone nags on you, like when someone wants to bring up your vulnerabilities and weaponize them against you. So, like, I'm a very, very confident person, and when someone starts to nag on my confidence or try to explain to me like why I'm not pretty enough, why I'm not good enough, why why I have somewhere I need to improve, I really stop and question that person because I accept criticism from a very select group of people who do not speak to me that way. And I think this is one of the ways it comes through because you already have low self-confidence. You have a point of vulnerability. Um, like I'll, I'll fully admit my, um, weight is a point of vulnerability for me and that like, I've always been a fat kid and I look at myself now and I don't see myself that way, but I carry that identity with me no matter what. So if I'm with somebody and I'm feeling good and they feel the need to bring up my weight in some way that has, to, that especially if it's tied to health, because my health is actually in really good shape, you know, um, that affects me really, really deeply. And that means that person has a mental hook to manipulate me. That's something I had to learn about myself. So when somebody is with you and they say things to you and go, that's weird and kind of makes me feel crappy. You may need another layer of insulation between you and that person. And I would not invite that person to be closer. Um, there's this wonderful book called Pleasure Activism, because I also lead a book club when we read it. And um, it's written by Adrienne Marie Brown. It's quite heady. But she gets into this idea of um, living from hell, yes. If, like, if your interactions are like, ooh, that was weird, but I'm going to do it anyway. And believe me, I lived there for years. Stop. <laughs> And start asking yourself, well, what would, what would make this a hell yes for me? Like, this person asked me to go do a thing with them, and I kind of want to do it, but I'm worried about this. And, I'm, and even things like, my sisters invited me to go to a festival, but I'm worried about, is it going to be too hot? Is she going to want to get an expensive lunch that I'm not going to want to get? Or, you know, maybe I'm working on something personally that has a time boundary or a talking boundary. Am I upfront about that? And am I actually taking care of myself going in? So I think that's a lot of what you have to look for in yourself is, does this person make me feel uncomfortable? Do they make me feel less than? Are they taking my already problematic thought patterns? And I'm talking about those thought patterns you have when you're by yourself. And you're like, oh, I wish I had done this. Oh, I wish I wasn't so like that. 
are they helping you with those thoughts or are they hurting you with those thoughts? I think that's a big piece that we um, can miss and we go, oh, but I love them. But I love them. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to hold them accountable for what they said or explain that they hurt me when they did that because I need an apology. Yeah. So I, I think that's where it is. You know who else you can get that from? You can get that from pets. Like you can just love them so much and not worry about accountability. You can do that with pets. Um, I thought about the word that I was thinking of when you said red flags. It was it was very close, but uh, okay. you mentioned confusing. Confusing was the word. Yeah. So not all red flags are confusing, and not everything confusing is a red flag. When I hear you say confusing, I think things like. When you're unclear on what the relationship is and you kind of just roll with it and yeah. you try not to have expectations or there are assumptions that are made or something happens and you're like, well, why would this person say this or do this? It doesn't match. Are these uh, like little things that were confusing or do you have some more examples just in case someone's in that space and would be able to benefit from some live examples of what could be confusing that you may not necessarily see to be a red flag. Okay. I, I think I see what you're, where you're going with this. Um, for example, this, this one has come up in many of my relationships and it is my partner suffers from some level of anxiety or dependency. Um, I also see this with ADHD often is that the person who experiences the anxiety is more likely to have good discipline and follow through if someone else is with them. Like literally sitting with somebody else so that they have the get up and go to actually clean their apartment, which seems like very like, what's the big deal? I'm just sitting there doing my thing, you know, and I could, I could do my own thing. But the thing is, I'm also beholden to that person. <laughs> Because, like, they really do need me there. It's the those moments of, like, need where I was like, there's just something about this that's uncomfortable to me. And at this point, I'm like, no, I have an expectation that people I'm in relationship with have a level of discipline. And that I, that's not an expectation for me. I think the actual, like, big solution to this problem also is, like, not just recognizing. Because if I'm speaking and you're hearing this, you're going, ooh, is that me? Yes, it probably is. Or at least there are ways that you're not setting boundaries that you wish you were. And I'm not going to tell you what they are. You know what they are. Sit with your journal or with your phone. And record, like, talk these things out to myself. Figure it out. There is somewhere where you're not having your boundaries met. And if your partner loves you and cares about you, they will change and make adjustments. And you can have a discussion about it. But I would say like one of the number one problems I think people run into, and I think um, people with a herpes diagnosis might double fall into this category is like, I don't really know what I want from a relationship. I don't really know where I'm going because we kind of ask people two questions. Are you going to get married? Are you going to have kids? And that's as far as our intention goes with, um, relationships. So we don't think about, well, what do I actually need? What are my actual emotional needs? I'm trying to fill with a romantic relationship that I don't get from a friendship. And like, what do I have to actually give? Like I'm the type of person who tends to over offer and then I regret it. So like I have to be very cognizant of that with relationships and, you know, be upfront with people. Like I do this, I have a tendency towards being an enabler and making promises and then I regret it. So being very self-aware, what are you trying to be in a relationship? Where are you trying to go in life? Are you, I mean, is this person that you're trying to date, are they elevating you to be that person or are they wanting you to stay right where you are? 
When I hear the underlying thread of what you're saying, like I, I felt something and what I felt in that was a call to the word self-reflection. And I tie so much of my awareness, my happiness to my self-reflection because I've been able to uh, look at what it is do I want what it is that I want. What is that what I want or is that what other people have convinced me that I want? Right. So we talk about the main questions. Are you going to get married? Are you going to have kids? Right. What about what if I want pets? What if I want multiple relationships? What if I want no relationship? You know, there's no space for that. And I believe that at this point, um, with having spoken to so many people who are diagnosed with herpes, those questions carry a significant, much, a much higher intensity with them because it can be that now you feel like you have to hurry up or you have these certain requirements that you now have to, um, you have to meet for a person or you feel like that is just so far disconnected from your reality. And every time you hear that, or every time you think about it, it's like, that's your reference point for what it is that you want, what you think you want, what you need, what you think you need. When the reality is so many of us have never had a reason to sit down and ask ourselves that question and then be able to reflect and say, based on these things that have happened, based on these thoughts I have, these beliefs or whatever, this is what I want. This is what I'm willing to work for. This is what I want to work towards. And tying it back to herpes and that whole piece about self-reflection, I think that I and the people who come onto this podcast as guests offer the consistent value of self-reflection. So I, 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 all of that <laughs> to say, um, what I found is that in my experience, discovering this world of sex positivity has offered me so many opportunities to self-reflect. And it's not just in a sense of what do I want, but it's like, who, who am I? Right. Uh, what is my sexuality? What um, kind of lifestyle do I want to live? What are my passions? What are my values? And while these are all things that have I've challenged myself with through sex positivity, these don't necessarily all have to do with my attraction or who I choose to have sex with. So I my segue here at this point is to speak to like, how did you get to that point of being able to explain what you just explained, even about the self-reflection and what it is that you want, especially like coming out of a herpes diagnosis when you can easily fall into the trap of this is what my worth is. Uh, The whole journey that the last seven years have been, um, there's something that you said in that story that brought back a memory for me, and it's related to a broader question. And it was within that first year of being diagnosed, I was kind of um, floating around finding community a little bit. And there's someone in that community I was talking to, and I was talking about my herpes diagnosis, who straight up told me, people who have herpes will pass it on if they give birth. And I had, and here's the thing about herpes. I'm sure your listeners know this. There's a million and one stories about 
harpies and how it works. Everyone's an expert. Nobody knows anything. So, of course, when I looked it up, I was, like, having the hardest time finding data. The, the answer is if you have an active, if you're actively shedding, there is a risk of that. But it's not, like, a guarantee. And this person was like, this is a guarantee it's going to happen. So, like, it's, it's one of those things that just, it, it's sticky because people will... Um, trauma react at you basically like they will get triggered just by hearing you have it or like want to tell you shit that you don't need to hear anyway that was like in the first year so I got connected with um, a lot of mindset people I first got connected with Mastin Kip who is a life coach who I, I guess he's like a trauma-informed coach I, I liked his work a lot and he talks about how we need a tribe and connected me with the idea of energy anatomy. It's going to get a little woo-woo. Uh, and um, the idea that you need to like take care of your different chakras, which comes out of Buddhism and a number of other religious ideas. Um, and the idea is if you're not connected with other people in a healthy way, if you don't have your tribe, your community, those you connect with, you know, you can't build anything like that has to be a starting point. No man is an Island, so to speak. So I started seeking out other people who were like-minded. Like I have always had a fascination with sex and masturbation and relationships and just other people. I'm always just like wanting to dive deep, both in conversation and like personally. And uh, I met people who are part of the BDSM kink community through a polyamory support group, which was all discussion-based. And that's when I was first introduced to Sex Positive Los Angeles also. I went to one of those orientations that I mentioned earlier, and they talked about... Um, there, there's two main things that really stuck out to me in those orientations. One was they talked about the three C's, care, consent, and confidentiality taking care of yourself first, not taking care of other people. Do you need a snack? Do you need to stop? Do you need to go out of the room and catch your breath? Do that first. Don't be taking care of other people first. And I was like, okay, self-care. That sounds pretty cool. And now it's like my obsession. Um, then we talked about other confidentiality next, which was like, everyone's like freaked out that someone's going to find out that you're sex positive or slutty or kinky or not straight or what have you. So, like, protecting each other's confidentiality in these spaces and what that looks like. And then we talk about consent. Consent being, hell yes, I want to do this. I'm excited. Or it's, a, uh, I need more details before I can make a decision. Or it's, no, thank you. And we say, thank you for taking care of yourself when someone says no. Or if you want to sit back and be a voyeur, that's perfectly all right. Like, I'd never been in a space where it wasn't like, come on, Jamie, just do it. Just do it. You're going to have, you're going to like it. Just do it. So the idea of being in a space where I could explore and not be forced to ever do something that was outside of my own integrity, because I was not aware of my personal integrity or my personal ethics. So I went to like a cuddle party where and um, I did this through Cuddle Sanctuary. They still exist in Los Angeles. Jean, who runs it, has been on my show. And that is just strictly cuddling. There's no nudge, nudge, wink, wink. This is going to turn into something. Like, it's literally nurturing touch. Like, you want to be a little spoon for an hour? You can go find someone to be a little spoon with. And you negotiate all of the touch as you go. So it's like literally the 
can we touch arms? Would it be all right if I did this? Would, would you please touch me in this way? So we're actually having people verbally ask for what they want and make requests of others. And like, I'm getting a little tingly as I say it, because I find a lot of people get locked up in that. And you ask them, how do you want me to touch you? They don't know. People are not used to that. They're used to touch happening to them or just taking the touch. So when you slow it down and ask people to verbally go there, something really magical happens. And what happened for me was um, my trauma started unpacking itself because I was safe. And I could start processing things and a lot of self-love in those moments in particular where I was just like, man, like I've, I've had things taken from me and that hurt that that really sucked and really sit with that feeling and then say I can reclaim these things like if I'm in this space where I can honestly say no and know that the thing is going to stop and that I'm going to be taken care of then wow I can really have whatever I want so the journey with sex positive has been a huge part of my life um, like I said, I was diagnosed in 2015. In 2018, I was running the local um, now sex positive 805 chapter in Ventura and Santa Barbara, teaching other people because um, I, I wanted it to stick. I wanted to make sure that that was how I did all of my interactions. Um, also, as a sidebar, it really helps my anxiety a lot. Um, I get intrusive thoughts after I have interactions with people where I get really nervous that they were holding back judgments or wanting to leave or really didn't want to hang out with me. So when you are around people who are in their sovereignty and know that they can say no to you at any time, and like if you're like me, make them say it to you at events, um, it makes it much easier to argue with anxiety and say, no, my friends really do want to spend time with me. They like literally would say no to me if they didn't want to be around me. And um, I've been down the mindset track quite a bit as well. Um, if you have an identity of a thing that you don't want to identify with, like being somebody with herpes and everything that comes with that and the way people react to it, it, it sucks by and large. What's nice about sex positive is like, for one, it's not your only identity. For two, you can connect with people intimately and not even have to disclose. And then for three, people know the facts about herpes, which I'm sure you've talked about this before, but the, the facts about herpes and STIs is that people don't know anything. Most people do not receive any kind of sex education. Um, even in high school, I, I talk to LGBT kids. Uh, it's something I get to do like once a year with this therapy group. And I ask them every time. And it's, uh, did, did you ever get a sex ed class? Or am I the first person who has ever talked to you about sex, like adult in a teaching environment, which like, I'm not a sex educator, like for real, like I'm not a doctor, I don't, but I talk about sex positivity and it's either like zero classes or three classes. Like, one parent is making sure their kid gets all of the classes, but by and large, they get nothing. So, like, I try to have a lot of grace with people because they don't know. They've been freaked out by shame culture and fear culture. And um, what you get in Sex Positive is a group of people who have taken a safer sex class, who understand that these things are treatable, that herpes has a very low rate of transferability and have made their own decisions about their risk profile. So this is where I have found people who are negative 
for HSV2 or, you know, I think actually for both in some cases who are still open to like <laughs> sex in the sense of like penis and vagina sex because not everyone defines sex the same way, you know, and, and they were okay with that because they understood their risk, risk tolerance and they said, I'm willing to take that risk or I'm not willing to take that risk. And there's a real understanding behind it. So being connected to that community and then also like hard personal work, like getting into my own trauma, getting into somatics. I got very into yoga for a long time. And um, I am also connected with another community around the brand impact theory, which is all about mindset. And you could watch weeks of programming about mindset on that. And um, yeah, that's really been the journey. And I really enjoy at this point being able to sit with people who are going through that, you know, like grappling with those traumas and saying, well, let's, let's make a play space where you can walk through it at your own pace. So I love setting up a safe container for people and letting them have space to process things in their own time or just feel pleasure in their body and not have all of the anxiety that comes with, oh, I'm going to have to just close. Oh, what if this goes too far? What if this happens? And like helping people get out of that um, trigger response thing that happens and instead be in the moment in their bodies and um, helping people with breath work and grounding as well. Because like I said, when I got the diagnosis, I was very disassociated, very uh, disembodied, like uh, very unaware of myself. Now I'm hyper aware of myself and I'm much, much happier. Community is the word that speaks to me here in that this is a community space that is not trauma bonding. It's more of like a healing bonding where the expectation has been set through the courses, the boundaries, the orientations. You're vetted to understand that this is a space where there is healing that can occur. Now, No one is immune to being triggered or having a visceral trauma response to an interaction. However, the expectation coming in here is not, okay, we're trauma binding. I was abused. You were abused. Let's, we, we know this, this is what we know. Let's be together and make it work. Right. Yeah. That's not what I'm getting out of this space. However, I know people reach out to me on a regular basis, Jamie, and they want to be in herpes support groups. I went as far as after I got to see what a lot of them have been about, giving people a disclaimer. All right, which of these groups do you want to be in? There's a social one. There's a supportive one. There's one that's like you go in there and everyone's just venting. Like, what kind do you want? And each one of these, they all have their pluses, but they also have their negatives as well. And in a sense, what I found in my experience is that what many people go to a herpes support group for, ultimately, they can get out of a space like this. But the thing is, they don't know that that's what they're there for. They get there and they're like, oh, I'm not necessarily getting the kind of relationships that I want to have. So I guess these are my options. And that 
that hurts. Like that that takes a little bit of me away from me each time I experienced that happen, even if it wasn't someone I added into a group. But if I'm like, you know, in community spaces, there's sometimes drama, people talk, and oh, yes. I've just heard and understood like watching and observing things happen that this is what's going on you know people are coming in with assumptions expectations have not been set there's not necessarily an honoring of consent it's very heteronormative monogamy driven and assumption based in a lot of those cases i've learned through being in the groups through having my relationships that there is so much more to relationships, sex, dating, than just, all right, I'm in this group of people who also have herpes. They should be woke because everyone should be doing the work, right? That's not the case. Not everyone's doing or has done or is willing to do the work. So my, at this point, like 10-ish years of doing the work of being in this space, of being in those spaces, like, the the shortcut is essentially rather than trauma bonding and looking for community in association with herpes is to seek out community in a way that can be healing that more so prioritizes self-prioritization like i don't want to call it you know selfishness but it's actually self-prioritization what do you need you don't want to show up in the space like okay i'm i'm, I'm ready to date i have a lot to offer no like it's not really about that. It's about um, what are you feeling that you're worthy to receive? Can you receive consensual touch? Can you receive exactly what you're asking for? Do you know what you want so that you know what to ask for and learn how to ask for it? Do you know why you want this thing? Because the thing that you may be seeking out may not even be in the space that you're looking for it. So this uh, this is like so exciting to me. And like, I, I know you see in my face, I've been like smiling, cheese and my teeth showing, like tears is like bubbling up in the corner of my eye because I am so thrilled that People don't have to go through the same process that I've gone through to learn this stuff. They don't have to learn about boundaries at 31 years old and then start asking questions and practicing boundaries at 33 years old, 10 years, eight years after their herpes diagnosis, right? I want for people to be able to exercise comfortably um, disclosing, asking for what they need and not feeling like they just have to completely shut off their sexuality, their sexual expressiveness, unless that's what they choose to do. But I find that a lot of people do that viscerally because society has told us, you know, going back to it, you know, you need to get married, you need to have kids. When are you doing these two things? Uh To come into a space where people are not subscribing to those things and are subscribing to the idea of healing, self-prioritization, and in a community space where other people are prioritizing these things as well in a way that isn't exclusively sexual, but can be if that's what you co-create and communicate. That is where I want, this is where I want people to start their journey. And if they feel like it's not for them, then okay, like you, we, there's other options. Yeah, as you're saying this also, what I'm thinking is, like, support groups have a wonderful time and place. Like, if you're looking for just that connection, like, I just don't want to be alone with this thing I'm struggling with. That's where support groups, I think, really come in. The danger 
is when you don't expand and change from it. And the thing is, a herpes diagnosis is one aspect of trauma that can come into your sexuality and like how you appear in the world and how you experience pleasure. The thing is, there's a million of them. People who have, you know, given birth, people who've gone through massive uh, body changes, like massive weight loss, um, people who suffer from HIV. Like, I could go on and on about things where people self-select that they um, can no longer be sexual. They can no longer be in pleasure in their bodies. You know, or, or they've had a injury or or maybe they're asexual and they feel like that means they will never have romance or they must be poly because they have no option because they have, you know, like they, I'm bisexual, therefore I must be poly. Like we put rules and identities and limitations on ourselves constantly. It's very human. It's very normal, but we also like really need to grapple with that. And that's what I like about sex positive is, um, on a neurochemical level, we are really good at learning things when we're having fun. And the thing about support groups is they're rarely fun. They're usually quite heady and heavy. And there is a time and place for that. Because I have definitely needed the floor to be like, some fucked up shit's happened to me and I need to talk about it. But also, like, I can't let my whole life be about what's wrong. I can't focus my attention on that all of the time. Because the things you think about and repeat become your reality. So if instead you're in play mode, like if you're at a cuddle party or something like, uh, we've had this one event where we get like some tarps down on the ground, like it's probably like in a yard or like something padded and have people just kind of get naked, close their eyes or put on blindfolds and slither on each other. So like there's no penetration, there's no fluid exchange, there's no kissing, it's not hot and heavy. It's like just being amongst bodies. It's a very strange experience but also like very special and magical in a lot of ways and on top of it all of that connection is activating oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin so you're getting lots of happy body feels and it also takes away some of those like gender assumptions so some strange things happen when you're at play and it really lets you rewire things like trauma and start changing your mind about things. So when we're just in support groups, it also just makes us like, oh, everything's very serious. And we must be very serious about all of our traumas and focus on them all of the time. And I tell you, if you want to be miserable, go to lots of support groups. <laughs> like there's a time and place for processing and there's a time and place for growing and changing. And I actually um, talk to therapists often about like, if you have a client who's ready to start connecting with people and take the next step on the journey, you can consider us like a support group that we're not a support group. What do I have to say? Like a, um, like a peer support community in that they can take the next steps and do it in a way that's safe, sane, consensual and healthy for them. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for adding that to it. Um, so yeah, in summary there, you know, the support groups serve a purpose um uh-huh. community spaces like get involved you know i see i think i know a lot of people just kind of scroll through and if you're feeling bad you are looking for some sort of relief um trigger warning here in regards to like cutting you know the emotional pain of something can be so bad that you just want to feel something else right yeah. and using that as an example you might want to experience someone else's pain in a way that makes you feel a little bit better about your own 
or you feel like you are the worst person in the world for a reason and you need to punish yourself by like reading through these things. Now, you can punish yourself in a sex positive space if you want to. You can consensually ask somebody to punish you in a way that fits for you, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's there's an event for that. We have an event for that. There's an app for that. There's an event for that. (laughs) But um, I, I, I only say this because Again, the self-reflection piece. I My desire for people is to not need something positive for positive people after you come and get what you need. I've been receiving a lot of messages lately because I, I, I was speaking to a friend. I was like, I won't hear from people for a while after hearing from them like every day for two months. And then eventually they start to implement the things that I'm telling them that they should do or they start listening to people's experiences. I don't hear from them for a while. And then out of the blue, someone I'm like, who is this person is in a a wedding dress or they've got a baby on the way or they've been proposed to. And I'm like, Hey, I look through the messages and be like, oh, we haven't talked in two, three years. Like, how you been? Like, oh, my God, I met this great guy. And and that's like how the conversation picks back up. That is my and that is my want. That is my perfect scenario for you to be able to come here. Maybe we talk a few times. Maybe you listen to a few podcast episodes. But most importantly, that you implement the things that you are resonating with. So when you come here and you hear about how you can go into a space and ask for what you need, if you're someone who knows that you've struggled with uh, identifying your needs, asking for what you need, setting boundaries, being someone who can receive a rejection, being someone who can just say no, right? These are accessible and available tools, resources, communities, spaces for you to be able to do this thing. And that's why I want for people to be able to to have this introduction into this sex positive space, this sex positive world, to sex positivity in general. So Jamie and I were putting on an event that is not named yet, but I'm going to promote it. I'll put a link in the podcast episode show notes so that people can RSVP. It is very important to me that people RSVP. I'm not doing that thing where I just post a link and expect people to come because this might be something that has 10 people. This may be something that has 100 people. So I want to know what to expect so that we can tailor uh, the flow of it accordingly. I want people to come and be able to be introduced to the offerings of Sex Positive World. And uh, if it resonates with you, if you're called to it, then you'll be able to maybe join or join a local chapter, find a local chapter around you, or uh, people can even start their own local chapters. Is that right? Like, there's, I'm sure there's a process for that. Yeah, over the next year, um, because we're coming out of pandemic, um, I came onto the board in 2020. Um, when our previous, uh, when our founder actually was like, I don't know how to do sex positivity on the internet. And also I'm really much more interested in my farm than permaculture. So I was one of the millennials brought on to help do this thing on the internet. And my goal over the next year is to create leadership training. So if you want to host a cuddle party, you can learn the skill set to actually do that yourself. Or if you want to start a chapter, um, it'll have ways that you can learn from it. I'm working on building it into an online learning platform so you don't have to come to a particular event, but rather you can bring yourself through coursework to learn these things. So that's my my big 
push for the next year through uh, June 2023. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Um, So we're going to have this event. It's going to be virtual. Um, I'll create flyers. I'll promote it on my Instagram page. I'll put it on my Facebook. This is an introduction sex positivity for something positive for positive people, podcast listeners, for people who follow me on social media and whoever it is that you all choose to invite into these spaces. Um, One of the things that I've done is I've co co facilitated uh, a course on boundaries and I've also hosted a disclosure workshop. And these are things that like if you follow enough people with herpes on social media, then you know that coaching costs X dollars. Now, I will ask if you can make a donation that you do make a donation to something positive for positive people, but it's not something that's mandatory. Like I talk to people one on one all the time about, you know, there's how you disclose. But this is a very good space to come in, get tools and resources and then be able to actually practice disclosing your status in a low stakes environment, low risk environment with safer people in a safer space in order to be able to do so and build that confidence and also have the self-reflection that is necessary for you to not only have healthier relationships with other people, but for you to have a healthier relationship with yourself. One of the things very early on that Jamie said that resonated with me is um, being an over offerer or something like that. Whatever it was, it was on the lines of you go in and you're like, what do you need? Do you need anything? Can I get you anything? No, like I need this. I'm going to get this for myself. And to really restructure our belief and frameworks about selfishness and what self-care is, because when we prioritize ourselves around other people who don't prioritize themselves, then we can come off as being selfish. Whereas when you're in a space where self-prioritization is the standard, then you're surrounded by communities of people who know how to take care of themselves so that that burden of responsibility is not on you. And we know that if you're someone who uh, is not able to take care of yourself or prioritize yourself, then you can find yourself in situations where you are taken advantage of, where you are um, beaten down or perceived as less than. And I don't want people to be in those spaces. I want people to be empowered. I want people to be educated. I want people to be informed. I want you to feel supported. I want you to challenge yourself. I want you to feel celebrated. And I, I, I want all of these things for you. And most importantly, for you to not need something positive for positive people. We shouldn't, these herpes support resources and all of that should not like have to continue to be a reoccurring thing. I've been doing this for five years, y'all, five years. And part of me has felt like I've been enabling, just like you said, like I'm, I've been an enabler, like I'm enabling people to just continue to over consume information without taking any action. So this here is my call to action to you. If you hear this podcast episode and you can't make it to the event, it's going to be July 21st and it's going to be virtual. Um, we're going to start it at 630 Pacific time. And then um, I'll, I'll add more details. But right now, what we wanted to do is get this episode out and we wanted to lock in a date. But we're looking at roughly 630 p.m. Pacific time for July 21st to be able to just content, attend this virtual workshop which is an introduction to sex positivity, sex positive world. And we'll have Jamie here uh, at the event to be able to just kind of like talk and 
answer, you know, some questions that people might have. Um, yeah, something I wanted to reiterate as you talk mm-hmm. about this is the other thing about sex positivity is not just inclusive of folks who have that identity of like, I have a positive herpes diagnosis. It's for people of any identity. So asexuality, LGBT, if you're unqueer, if you are, you know, a person of color, if you are kinky, if you are... And if you don't unqueer, know... If you don't know if you're kinky or if you don't know your sexuality yeah, as well, questioning. Right? Like, we want to be open to everybody. And if there's a, someone who gets left off the list, we want to know more about that because we want to put, a, we want to be inclusive of everybody. And we're constantly working on this. So I want to make sure that that's clear to folks because I feel like you like, like I identify as bisexual. So like that comes with its own struggle and its own problems. Like to actually have the intersection of all of your identities when it comes to your sexuality and how you show up in the world. Like that's what it's about. So I want to make sure to highlight that also. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, we're at <laughs> the point of uh, wrapping this whole thing up. Um, I want for you to just leave people with how they can connect with you, how they can find you. And uh, I'll be sure to put it in the show notes so that you all can check out Jamie's podcast, follow Jamie on social media, reach out if you have any questions or if you want to just say thank you. Hey, like, please, please do so. Um, so, Jamie, how can people connect with you? Yeah, so you can find me. Uh, I have a brand called Given Consent, like it's already been given away. Um, I have a YouTube channel. It's a Given Consent is the name of the show. I interview people on different consent topics. You can also find me on Instagram. I have a Facebook page. And you can find all of Sex Positive World's events at sexpositiveworld.org. I am probably going to be doing more teaching and things coming up this next year so if you go to givingconsent.com uh you may find some offerings for me there as well thank you so much jamie i i i know you were like wanting some notes and i was like uh-uh because if i, I would have wrote down <laughs> seven questions i would have felt this uh tug of war between getting those questions answered and then like oh my god like i really want to go deeper into this thing that you said so thanks for being such a great sport i know you came into this you were probably like he ain't got no questions he ain't organized but like we have accomplished more than what i expected to accomplish so thank you for also sharing about your experience with abuse um i always find that that is something that can't be spoken on enough and so like thank you for sharing your experience with that yeah thanks for letting me share it and i hope we get to see folks at this event i'm excited for it yeah me too so hey y'all y'all better come please please show up (laughs) please rsvp um but yeah the link to that will be in the show notes uh after the posting of this podcast um along with jamie's contact information podcast and resources website um please just just show up that's that's all i'm asking if you if you can't make a donation that's cool just rsvp uh so that i can send out the link to you i'm just going to be getting your email address that you want me to send this to again the event is going to be july 21st we're looking at 6 30 p.m pacific time um i may even get in there a little bit earlier if people want to join and just kind of talk shoot the shit a little bit beforehand but this is an introduction to sex positivity and its offerings and like what 
I am hoping that people are able to gravitate towards early on before their diagnosis low key. But I want this to be a space that is intentionally for the something positive for positive people, podcast, audience, platform, community. So, yeah, join up and I look forward to seeing you there. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast. And most importantly, RSVP for this event. Link's going to be in the podcast, show notes, episode notes. Um, But yeah, if you can, please consider making a donation via Venmo or Cash App at Courtney Brame, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-B-R-A-M-E. It's my first and last name, all one word. And if you're not in the United States, you can donate at PayPal, which is just paypal.com slash SPFPP. We also have a Patreon page, which is just something positive for positive people. If you want to become a member there, I believe there shouldn't be a paywall between people and all these resources. So there's not really anything you get out of that. But if you're there, you can reoccurringly pay at no cost. Till next time, say six positive.